This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The darkness awaits. Lights out. Everybody. supernatural and the supernormal, dramatizing the fantasies and the mysteries of the unknown. We tell you this frankly, so if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you calmly but sincerely to turn off your radio now. Spooktacular people, welcome to the HGB Halloween Special 2018. Wishing you all a very happy Halloween today. And I am joined by a special guest who's going to help me read some of the scary stories that you guys have sent in. We have our admin and my fiance, Kelly. How are you, Kelly? I'm doing great. Hey, guys. So before we get into sharing some of your true ghost experiences, I thought it would be kind of fun to talk a little bit about the history of haunted houses. I mean, where did these haunted house attractions come from? Where did they get started? Do you like haunted houses, Kelly? (laughs) I absolutely love haunted houses. Jump scares are the best. I know you're not a huge fan, but oh my gosh, I love getting spooked that way. I was going to say, we share a lot of things in common, but that is not one of them. I do not like haunted house attractions. I'm not into jump scares. Yeah, that's the best for me. I can't wait to go through them. You've been having a few jump scares that have affected you watching Hill House. So That is true. Usually I don't jump during horror movies, but The Haunting of Hill House has definitely gotten me a few times. That is an amazingly written series. Yeah, it's so incredible. I'm absolutely loving it. And that's how you know how well it's written because you actually did jump a few times. (laughs) Well, talking about these haunted house attractions, did you know that there's over 2,500 of them in the world? No way. That's a huge number. That is a huge number. Can I do all of them? I want to see them all. Every single one. Uh, Well, you know, too bad we didn't win the, what was it, $5 billion (laughs) was the lotto the other evening. No kidding. That would have done it. Then we could have done that kind of thing. And I would have stood outside and said, have fun. (laughs) You you wave me off. (laughs) See when you get out. (laughs) Of course, these are big money makers, too. So that's probably why everybody jumps in and wants to do one. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Obviously, this is because people love to be scared, especially when they feel, you know, when when you're in one of these haunted house attractions, you feel kind of safe, even though you know something's going to scare you and you're seeing some pretty creepy and horrible things. You feel safe because you're like, they can't touch me. They can't jump at me. And it's not real. Uh, Somewhat. I don't know if I would agree with that, but (laughs) I don't think about feeling safe at the time. I just am enjoying getting the the jump scares. (laughs) That's the making of a really good horror movie is a haunted house attraction that turns into the real deal. I may pass on that one if I have have any prior knowledge about it. (laughs) 
Well, all of this seems like it kind of started with the Egyptians. You know, they had a problem with people breaking into the tombs and grave robbing. Sure. So they thought, you know, one way that we could detour some of these grave robbers is to build these mazes outside of the tombs and to put some scary stuff out there. So they did that kind of stuff. They would have traps, snakes and insects, moving walls and self-opening doors. And this was supposed to keep them away. Wow, I never knew that. I didn't either until I did the research for this. Unfortunately, obviously, the scares weren't that good because most of the tombs did get raided. Yeah, they probably knew it was coming, just like a haunted house. (laughs) (laughs) They weren't as affected by it. (laughs) They were like, oh, I know that opening door and that snake. Well, the snake is real, but... uh, That's uh, old hat. (laughs) I'm over it. (laughs) Greeks and Romans are known for their mythological monsters and stage performances, where they used fog, fake blood, and ghosts to scare audiences. No way! So they started all of that way back in the day. Pretty cool. Now, none of these are what we would consider to be haunted house attractions, but it does kind of show that humans have always looked for a way to scare each other and to be scared. So we jump forward to the late 19th century, and there was a theater in Paris called the Grand Gugnal Theater. And they would stage performances that featured graphic dismemberment. And it had a reputation for people passing out while they were watching the place. It was so bad. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) The first haunted house would start at an English fairground called Lip Hook in 1915. Patrick Collins was a carnival creator and he built the haunted cottage for his wife, Flora, at the fairground. So apparently she liked to be scared. My kind of gal. Yeah. I'm not building you one, okay? Oh, dang it. <laughs> this was during World War One, and people were seeking a way to escape, so the haunted house was very popular. The scares were pretty tame, according to our standards. They included a maze of rocking floors, vibrating walls, and air blasts from below that took place in the dark. So that's what kind of made them scarier. That sounds pretty fantastic, happening back in 1915. Definitely. And the cottage was called the Orton and Spooner Ghost House, or at least that's what it's called today. It's still running today. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. It can be seen at the Hollycomb Working Steam Museum in Liphook. So it's not still in the same park where it had been before, but it's still there. It's still open. It's about the size of a train car. So it's not real big, but and it's obviously been updated and refurbed and stuff. The outside of it, though, features the original artwork, which has ghosts, spiders, cobwebs, skeletons, Frankenstein's monster and Lon Chaney's The Phantom of the Opera. Those, of course, were added after the movies came out, but... I would love to see that. And then, of course, amusement parks started hosting fun houses. I think a lot of people know about those. Got your dark mazes, your weird mirrors, loud noises. And this eventually would become the haunted houses that played up more of the creeps. Haunted houses started appearing in America during the Great Depression, just as trick-or-treating was getting started. So it was thought that these haunted houses would perhaps distract the kids from getting into mischief. Uh, Not likely. (laughs) (laughs) At least not when I was a kid. (laughs) And most of these haunted houses were actually hosted in people's basements. Ooh, that's a little creepy. Yeah, there was a 1937 pamphlet that described how parents could create these scares. And it says, an outside entrance leads to a rendezvous with ghosts and witches in the cellar or attic. Hang old fur, strips of raw liver on the walls. Ew, uh, (laughs) hard pass. (laughs) Especially where one feels his way to dark steps. Weird moans and howls come from dark corners. Damp sponges and hairnets hung from the ceiling touch their faces. Doorways are blockaded so that guests must crawl through a long, dark tunnel. At the end, they hear a plaintive meow, Mm -hmm. and they see a black cardboard cat outlined in luminous paint. I think those are all great ideas, with the exception of the liver. I I, I just, I don't know if I could get past that. 
Yeah, I don't think I'm going to tack raw liver to the wall. And and how do you attach it to the wall? Because it seems like if you nailed it, it would. I don't even want to think know. about it. I wouldn't even want to try. <laughs> a little fun fact, Kelly, is I actually made a haunted house with some friends down in one of their basements one year. Well, tell me about it. Well, it was very cool. Just listening to the fact that this was something they did back during the Great Depression, having it down in people's basements. I was like, oh, we did that when we were kids. We put butcher paper up on the wall. So it went all the way down the walls and we crinkled it up. So it kind of had a rock like look to it. And we spray painted it with black paint in lines. Oh, very cool. And then, of course, we did the standard spaghetti for brains, grapes (laughs) for eyeballs. We did have some dolls that we covered in ketchup and hung them on Ew. The walls and off the ceiling. Ew. Things like that, too. I just wouldn't like the smell of the ketchup. The rest is good, but let's go with theatrical blood if we t- if we decide to do that here. Uh, okay. <laughs> I didn't know I was honoring an old tradition at the time, so that's kind of cool that I did that. Yeah, very cool. Now for the meat of all of this. In 1969, Disneyland premiered Their mm. Haunted Mansion. And this, of course, had lots of special effects that featured dancing ghosts in a ballroom, transforming portraits, pop-up monsters in a cemetery, a spectral sea captain, and a headless horseman. Now, the original idea for the Haunted Mansion, did you know that people weren't going to be riding in the Doom Buggy cars? I had no idea. They what were, were supposed they to, to do? They were just supposed to walk through it. Oh, wow. It was supposed to be like a museum of the weird. And so they that's how they originally opened it up. And obviously, people wandering through a museum take a little bit of time to do that. And they want to look at all the displays and see how are they making those things look like ghosts and how does that work? It was taking too long. The lines were way backed up. So they're like, we're going to have to figure out a way to move people along. So that's when they introduced the doom buggy cars. And of course, that keeps people going at a steady pace now. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's a bright idea because I would be one of those people hanging back and looking at everything. But if you think about the haunted house attractions that are open today, those are walkthrough. Well, true. However, with the jump scares that they're doing, most people are trying to hustle their way from one area to the next. So I don't know if you have any stragglers when it comes to that. Yeah, I know. The last time I was in a haunted house attraction, I was at the tail end and some guy came out with a chainsaw. And nice. yeah, I, w- I moved real fast. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. I don't think I've ever moved that fast in my life. I'm like, I am out of here. The JCs started making charity haunted houses, and soon other amusement parks started incorporating haunted houses during October. That continues all the way up to Universal's Halloween Horror Nights. Have you ever been to one of those? I have not. I want to so badly. However, now I need to find somebody to go with me, and I'm guessing you won't be volunteering. <laughs> uh, Yeah. So I've heard lots of parents complain about the billboards saying, oh, they are too graphic and (laughs) it just looks too scary. And I have to say, looking at the billboards, I'm like, yeah, it does look pretty scary. I don't know. Yeah, hit me up. Anybody who's local, we'll go hang out (laughs) Universal. Have fun. Diane can stay home. (laughs) (laughs) Have fun. I mean, I would love to see all the houses and how they're decorated and stuff, but I don't know that I care to walk through them. Okay. Well, it's no fun if I have to walk through by myself. The haunted houses of the 1980s and 1990s, of course, featured a lot of connections to Hollywood's craze of slasher movies. So I remember going through a haunted house and they had like the exorcist room. And like I said, they had the chainsaw, which was from the the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And there's always Freddie and Jason and Michael Myers. All the classics. Well, when I was younger, I remember going to Not Scary Farm, which was always a lot of fun. That I would really like, especially because they used to have Elvira there. I know, I think oh, this yes. year or last year was her last year doing that, but she was always there for, God, a, many, many, many years. Yep, she was. Want to get your mind blown finding out how much this industry is worth? Uh, $300 million. Holy 
Can they, they say said, crap? <laughs> yes, you can. Holy crap. <laughs> and most houses make at least $3 million during their season. Wow, that's amazing. Let's Hol- set one up. I was just gonna, I was just about to say home haunters have gotten into the game, turning their homes into mini haunted attractions for Halloween. Well, I think that's an excellent idea. But you're going to have to partake in, in making these, creating these jump scares. I don't mind being a part of them. I just don't want to walk through it. <laughs> okay, deal. And we want to hear from you guys. Have you been to a haunted house and which have been your favorite? Do you like the jump scares like Kelly or are you more like me and you'd rather keep it tame? All right. So you guys came here to hear each other's haunted experiences. And I asked you guys to send these in, not necessarily from historic locations. They could be anything. And so we got a lot of you to send us your stories and we're looking forward to sharing those. Did you want to start, Kelly? Sure. I'll start it off. So the first one we have is from Kimberly Duval. She wrote in and says, this took place back in the summer of 2003 in northern Arizona. I was working as a camp counselor for a girl's summer camp. I had attended the camp as a girl and only worked at the camp that one summer. I never felt uncomfortable at the camp. I don't remember feeling that way when I was a camper, nor did I have that feeling when I arrived at the camp. The camp had three levels. The top level had the admin building, a dorm, a building called the longhouse that we weren't allowed to use, a ceramic studio, a chapel, nurse's office, and housing for the camp director and caretaker. The second level was just down the hill and just had the dorm that the staff could use for breaks. The bottom level had about five cabins, the dining hall, archery field, and some trails. The chapel was the only building I just had a weird feeling about. It was right next to the nurse's office and next to the path that leads from the bottom and the second level. So I had to pass it at least once a day, if not more. I refused to look at it or in the windows. I don't know what I was afraid of, but something just felt off. Being in camp with all girls, the other counselors had tons of crazy ideas as to why it was there. Like I said, not much was happening that made me feel like things were odd at the camp. A few weeks into the summer, there was a few of the counselors who claimed to be pagan and that the camp was haunted and they used a scrying board to communicate with the ghosts. I believe in spirits, but I'm also a skeptic, and I didn't believe what they had said because a lot of it didn't make sense. I'm not sure if what these women did woke something up, but what I had happen to me still sits with me today, and I cannot explain it. I was with the group of girls in my unit with another counselor, and we were taking them to their dance class after lunch. While the girls were having their lesson, I usually read a book or wrote letters. The girls were learning interpretive dance and were given a poem to create a dance to go with it. I had one group ask me to read the poem to them so they could all practice. I agreed and stood in front of them reading the poem and watching their dance. I told them how nice it was and that I thought they did a good job with it. I handed them the paper with the poem back and I felt someone tap me on the shoulder. I turned around expecting another group to be asking me to do the same thing. When I turned around, no one was there. I thought one of the girls were playing a trick and ducked around, so I turned around the other way and did a spin to see if I could catch who was doing it. No one was there. I looked around the room. All the other groups were busy, and no one seemed like they needed me. So I walked back to where I was sitting. I gave the room a look around to see if I could catch one of the girls laughing. They were about 8 to 10 years old, and girls that age can't hide a laugh when they're playing a trick. No one was looking at me, so I sat back down, and before I could reach over and grab my backpack to get my book, I felt pressure on my lap like someone had sat on my lap. There was no one and nothing there. I don't think I was paralyzed, but I was afraid to move and anger whoever was on my lap. I had the feeling that a teenage girl was sitting on my lap. Not sure why, but that's what I felt. So while I was sitting there, I was trying not to freak out. 
The other counselor would have started screaming if I said anything, and the camp director had told us to keep the idea that the camp was haunted quiet from the girls. So to myself, I thought, you're okay to sit on my lap and watch the girls dance, but I need you to let me up when they're done. I have to take them to get ready for dinner when they are done here. So with that, I just sat there watching the girls dance and hoped that whatever was on my lap would let me up when the lesson was over. I couldn't think about what to do if they were done and the pressure was still there. The girls' lesson was over and the feeling of someone on my lap was still there. Luckily, before I could say anything, another counselor came in and the girls lined up to leave. Once the girls were in the line, the pressure on my lap was gone, and I felt like whoever was there was gone too. In my head, I thanked whoever it was for letting me get up and take care of the girls. I told the other counselor I needed to use the bathroom and would catch up. I'm not sure if she questioned that, since I had been sitting there the entire class and could have gone during the class. I went into the bathroom, which was right next to where I was sitting. I sat down and used the bathroom while trying to process what had happened. I never had anything like that happen before. I've heard sounds and other things, but never have I had something not human touch me or sit on my lap. I still to this day have no idea what had happened. I never did look into the history of the place or have done much research on what happened to me. Anytime someone wants to hear my most memorable paranormal experience, I also think of this experience. Thank you for reading my story. Your podcast is an amazing one. I thought it was bad enough that something tapped her on her shoulder to make her spin around, but then to have it sit on you? (laughs) No kidding. And how she kept her composure and didn't like freak out and say, there's something sitting on me. Get it off. Get it off. off, Jump up and run around or something that she just sat there and was like, okay, this is fine. But when I need to go, you got to get off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I would not have been able to just sit there all calm and cool and trying to hold it together and not freak out in front of the girls. Great story. Thanks for sharing that, Kimberly. All right. Then we heard from Melissa Potter. She wanted to pass on some paranormal experiences that she and her mother have had. For me, my paranormal experiences began when I was about three years old. My mother says I would come into my parents' bedroom late at night and tell them I could not sleep because the old lady was talking to me and would not stop. After a few months of this, my mother found out from the neighbor that the former owner of the house, an older lady, had died in that room that was my bedroom. Fortunately, I do not remember any of that happening because I was so young. I'd be glad I couldn't remember. Yeah, definitely. Although it seems like it was a nice experience if it was just a little old lady, you know, talking to her. The next experience I remember having was when I was about 10 years old. Different house from the last story. So now she gets to be haunted twice. Great. I would be sleeping in my bed at night and I would wake up because it felt as if someone had laid their hand on my shoulder back. Oh, here we go again. I immediately flipped around to see who was waking me up and no one was there. I could feel a presence and heard the soft sound of footsteps on carpet walking out of my room. The next experience happened when I was about 24. My husband and I rented a house in Chino, California, built in 1924. Do you know where Chino is? Absolutely. Right down the street from where I grew up. Oh, very cool. One day I was cleaning out the spare bedroom and a strange sensation came over me and I could feel something in that room with me. The room got very cold and something whispered in my ear. Oh, man. I wish I could remember what was said, but I remember standing there thinking, did that just happen? Oh, my gosh. I Yeah, I have a few thoughts about that, I think. (laughs) The scariest experience I've had was in around 2001. My husband and I just purchased our first home. I was in a spare room unpacking boxes. All of a sudden, I heard a loud, slow, and breathy, drawn-out whisper say, Get out. Oh, yikes. This voice was right inside my right ear. The get out was very clear. So this is audible. Oh, my gosh. I stood there a few seconds just frozen. Then I thought to myself, No, I'm not going anywhere, and continued to unpack the boxes. 
I'd feel the same way after we just bought this hey, house. This I'm not leaving. House. You can deal with it. <laughs> after all you have to go through to get a house. Heck yeah. <laughs> we know that experience all too well right now. <laughs> yes. I had many unexplained experiences in this particular house. Once I was awoken by loud snoring in the bed next to me. Well, that would be me, but... <laughs> yeah, you're a snorer. <laughs> it wasn't my husband because he'd left for work already. I opened my eyes and the snoring continued for a minute, then stopped. Another time when my daughter was about two, I'd left her to play with her toys in that spare room mentioned above. We converted it to our television room for a few minutes while I went to the kitchen. I was in the kitchen for about five minutes. Things got very silent and I could no longer hear my daughter playing. I went to check on her because usually that means they're getting yeah, into trouble <laughs> and found her in the spare room with a red thin burn mark around her neck. Oh, no. Apparently, she got entangled in the cord of the mini blinds and they were wrapped around her neck like a noose. Oh, my God. How scary. Odd thing was that this cord was nowhere near long enough for a two-year-old to grab and there was nothing she could have stood on to make her tall enough to reach that cord. That's terrifying. I'm not sure who or what intervened and rescued her from being strangled to death that day, but I'm obviously grateful they did. We only lived in that house for about six months after that. Yeah, I'd, I'd be ready to move again. As much of a pain as it is to move. No kidding. That would definitely, I'd be like, you can have the house back. I'm out of here. It's just weird because her daughter was not tall enough to reach it. So exactly. it makes me wonder. What put her there? Who put her there to begin with? Mm -hmm. So do you have two things here that one thing put her up there and the other saved her? Yeah, that's very scary. I was just about to say, I mean, I'd like to have an experience, but not that kind of experience. Not like that. A few weeks ago, I shared in the Spectacular Crew Facebook page that my grandma had passed away. And the night she passed, I found two dimes in my bed laying next to me when I woke up that morning. I took this as a sign that she was saying goodbye and letting me know she was okay now. This was a very cool and emotional experience for me. The experiences from Grandma have not stopped. A couple days ago, on September 28th to be exact, I wanted to make some banana bread. I get out my recipe book from the kitchen drawer and a letter drops out of it. It was a handwritten letter from my grandma dated September 28th, 2004. Aw, that's amazing. And what are the chances that it drops out of the book on the day, the exact day, September it's not, 28th? It's not chance. It's it's her saying hello. And I've heard those stories about dimes many times. I don't know what it is about dimes, but yep. ghosts like to leave dimes. <laughs> yep, I know. She had sent me the letter when I requested some recipes from her. Coincidence? I don't know. Just very odd that this letter shows up again on the same date she'd written it. Being open to these strange experiences seemed to run in the family. My mom has had a few strange experiences after her ex-husband got sick and passed away from cancer. I have a few of them here below. Her ex-husband, Tim, was in the Veterans Hospital in Loma Linda, California, dying of blood cancer. They would allow her to take Tim out to the smoking area every night. One night after 11 p.m., she wheeled him out to the smoking area. A man was standing towards the back of the outdoor smoking area. They both acknowledged each other with a tip of the head, and she said hello to him. He was smoking. When my mom turned around, he was gone. He had to walk past her to go anywhere, but did not as she was still at the entrance to the area. She said he just disappeared into thin air. Wow, that's amazing. A ghost smoking, too. That's yeah. interesting, too. Yeah. I wonder if she could smell the smoke. That's what I was just about to ask. Yeah. I was like, I wonder if there was a smell of smoke, too, or if it was something residual. But he did seem to acknowledge her, so he had to have been yeah, intelligent. Yeah, he gave her a head tilt, then... After Tim died, my mom found pennies everywhere she went, on the seat of her car, in a parking lot when she would come back to the car. She even for a time would find them on the floor by her desk at work and in her living room. Once when her sister was visiting, she borrowed my mom's car. When she got back to the car, there were pennies on the car seat and car floor and outside the car by the driver's door. 
toilet paper light. After Tim died, he would blink the hall light for her every night. She had lights on the hallway wall that were flat on top. Tim would joke and put a roll of toilet paper on the light as he knew I would get upset. Finally, she just decided to leave it. So when she would go down the hall, if she turned on the lights, the light with the toilet paper roll would be the only one to blink. Sometimes it would come on by itself and blink. Wow. wow. That, that's amusing. I mean, how random. Toilet paper roll. <laughs> and it's a sure indication that it's not electrical. Right. The last time that ghost Tim was in the house, my mom heard footsteps come down the hall. The cats were sleeping on the bed with her and started to freak out. My mom just laid there hoping she really was not hearing anything. Whatever it was came into her room and laid down on the bed. She felt the indent on the bed and felt it put its arm over her. She said it was so real and she just stayed still, scared to death. Would seem like a long time, but was probably only a minute. It stayed there. Then she felt it get up and heard it walk back down the hall. The cats were so freaked out they would not come back into the bed for a few days. The next morning, my brother confirmed that he had heard footsteps walking down the hallway that night too. Wow, those are some amazing stories. Definitely. I would love to have some of those experiences. And the one with the the walking down the hallway and feeling the arm and the depression on the bed. I mean, to me, that would just feel comforting if if your loved one had passed and they were just wanting to spend some time with you. Yeah, it would make me think that that was Tim. Mm -hmm, Definitely. All right. You got another story there? I do. This one is from Janae Lehman. In college, I studied technical theater at Syracuse University. For my first crew position on a show, I was the rigger and the only student allowed in the catwalks. Before every performance, I had to wait for the actors to go to the dressing rooms in the basement before I could climb to the catwalks to check my rigging. One day, while kneeling in the catwalks, I heard a raspy woman's voice say my name slowly. Janae. (laughs) (laughs) I I love your ghost voice. That's great. (laughs) That's how I pictured it or imagined it in my head. Anyway, from what sounded like the next catwalk over, that's where she heard it from. Standing up, I looked around quickly. I was all alone. Calling down to the female stage manager, I asked what she wanted. I didn't call you, she yelled back. Is Sarah around? I asked, thinking the assistant stage manager maybe was the culprit. Nope, I sent her to the basement a few minutes ago. She hasn't come back. I think you should hurry up and get down. When I reached the stage, my SM asked me exactly what happened. I told her and watched her face grow pale. That was the lady in red, she gasped. She then sent me to the green room to read an article that was pinned to the door. Turns out, several prominent faculty members had been interviewed for a local paper about the lady in red. The article described different encounters with her from over the years. And the voice that was described by our department chair was exactly what I had just heard a few minutes before. Whoa. (laughs) Lovely. Now I have that song, Lady in Red, going through my head. Nice. (laughs) I kind of doubt it was that kind of lady in red. Yeah, I don't think it was a nice feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would have been afraid and falling off the catwalk, I think. Okay, and then here's another one. In 2010, I worked a show at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. My actors decided to do a ghost tour one evening after our show. The tour was just okay. Interesting history, but was kind of cheesy, especially given that our guide was covered in fake blood. (laughs) (laughs) I had a guide who was dressed as a zombie the one time, so it was kind of, yeah, yeah. (laughs) cheesy. The tour ended in the tunnels under the city. There were a lot of rumored hauntings down there, but it just felt like a movie set or haunted house setup. Our guide told us a group of Wiccans practiced their arts down in the tunnels and summoned something they couldn't control. She told us the entity was trapped inside a stone circle in the room we were about to enter. How convenient. One of my friends and I held back, letting the others go on as the guide kept repeating her caution. Don't go in the circle. Don't tempt the entity. Blah, blah, blah. Don't tempt the spirits, right? 
To get to the next room, we had to walk down a stone corridor and up a couple of small stone steps. My friend and I were arm in arm when I felt like I was being hit by a ton of bricks. I was kneeling on the ground, sobbing. I don't even remember falling. I couldn't breathe. Hun, what's wrong? My friend asked. I, I can't go into that room, I gasped. I was shaking. Everything all right? Our guide asked before heading into the room to continue the tour. I found my feet and instantly got the feeling that something was wrong. Shoving my friend into the room, I jumped in and tried to block the opening to the room as much as I could. There was something bad in that hallway. I have no idea what the guide was saying. I couldn't concentrate over the breathing in my ear from the empty hallway. When I finally did catch the guide saying, it was trapped in the stone circle, I heard a deep laughter from the darkness behind me. Trust me, I looked, and I felt the sensation of nails running down my back before the word nope was hissed in my ear. Oh my lord. (laughs) I know, right? Whatever that thing was, it wasn't in the circle, and it liked that I was afraid. Okay, the thing that really blows my mind about this is that I just did the episode on the Edinburgh Tunnels this month. Right. And, and I just got major goosebumps. Look at my she arm. She does have goosebumps. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, yeah, that creeped me out. Yeah, and that story is one that I relayed in the episode that the tour guides tell about. These Wiccans had done some kind of a ceremony and trapped something in there. And so for her to... And she had the reaction that I would have. Like, right. uh-huh, sure, good story <laughs> to tell all the people coming through. Mm-hmm. And then to have that experience... And I love that the guy just kind of walks past her. She's like falling down and crying and it's like bricks are <laughs> falling know. on her. She's like, everything okay? Yeah, totally just nonchalant. <laughs> I'm fine. No big deal. I think those Edinburgh tunnels have something going on down there because I've heard, like I said in the episode, I have friends who've been down there that caught weird stuff and felt weird things. It's I, It would be an interesting tour to go on. We definitely need to get there one day. I mean, definitely. I agree. Hello, you spooktacular people, just breaking in for a minute. As much as I'd like to believe that something paranormal happened with our recording over the next 15 minutes, the actual truth is I've had most of my equipment since I started the podcast, so some of it is starting to fail as it's been getting older, and unbeknownst to me, one of my microphone cables decided that it wanted to go on the fritz. So as I'm getting ready to tell a story from listener Mary... You're going to notice that I go from the regular sound that you're used to to sounding like I jumped into a crypt and I'm talking to you from inside that, which would be very cool, except for that's not really what I'm doing. So there's going to be kind of a weird echoey sound. It lasts for about 15 minutes. And then I figured out that there was an issue and grabbed a new cable and then everything gets back to normal. So I do apologize that the sound's going to be a little off here. This is from Mary Stevenson. She is from Arkansas, and she's been to the Crescent Hotel, so she wanted to share some of her experiences. She says, About 10 years ago, I went on my first out-of-town trip with my boyfriend at the time. We ventured to the beautiful town of Eureka Springs, Arkansas. It's located in the northern hills of the state. The area is very pretty in the fall when the leaves change, especially when sitting on the porch area of the Crescent Hotel. And I can't remember. We did this episode really early on, but I can't remember the episode number. The Crescent, as you know, has had several uses over the years since it was built. The most tragic is when it was used during the tuberculosis epidemic. The beauty, the history, and the rumors of hauntings drew Adrian and I to the hotel. We are both lovers of history and ghostly stories. Therefore, we chose this as our first getaway. Also, you can get a package deal for ghost tours and a hotel room. So, hey, better yet. (laughs) Hey, there's more. 
being at the time I was 23 and a college kid, obviously the savings was what she was looking for. Yeah, definitely. This trip was great on a budget. We got there early in the day to enjoy walking around the town and seeing some of the local shops. We walked back up to the hotel and decided to go down to the Catholic church on the backside of the hotel. You have to go downstairs, then a walkway that leads down to a nice little courtyard. As we walked down the walkway, we heard a chorus doing the refrain of, Amen. (laughs) Being we both come from Catholic backgrounds, we were thinking church must be in session. We get down to the courtyard while walking around and looking at some statues. Adrian calls to me. He was by the door and is reading that church doesn't start for a couple hours. Confused, we thought, maybe choir practice? The church was unlocked and we went inside. Not a soul in sight. Choir loft doors were locked. There was nobody up in the loft and nobody in the little church. I was thinking, okay, maybe they have speakers rigged outside. Or maybe the priest was playing music in the rectory. I was trying to explain away what we heard in broad daylight. That's crazy. (laughs) And you hate to hear any hauntings connected to a church because it's like, why is that happening? Yeah. And a side note, it's episode 11. Oh, well, thank you for looking that up. Sure. That night, we did the ghost tour with a medium. He told us the history and the stories behind the ghosts believed to be haunting the hotel. We walked some of the hallways and passed by some of the more active rooms. We then went down to the basement where the morgue was located. Some of the original tables and fixtures were still down there. The medium was telling us about the morgue when a woman next to me jumped and screamed. She said she heard someone whisper and actually felt someone's lips on her ear. Ew. We were in a corner of the room. Nobody was on her right side and I was on her left. Thinking it was her imagination, we moved away from her as to save more my poor eardrum in case she had enough startle. I'm sure she Don't. felt better having them itch away from her like crazy. Don't put her on the other side, then you'll be deaf in both ears. <laughs> Good grief. The tour ended when we hung outside with some other tour goers, chit-chatting, enjoying adult beverages, and telling the stories of what we heard about the hotel. It got late, so we decided to head to our rooms. We were staying in the quote-unquote active wing, which the medium said more experiences happened on that side of the hotel. We get into bed and are watching TV. I was getting tired, and I don't sleep well with the TV on. I ask Adrian to turn it off. He grumbles and shuts it off. A little later, I'm laying there, and I hear a loud sigh of irritation. I roll over and ask what his problem was. He said, I have no problem. What's yours? Why are you huffing? I replied, that wasn't me. It was you. He said he didn't make any noise. We brushed it off as being tired and just hearing things. About 3 or 4 a.m., I woke up to Adrian rolling over towards me and grabbing my arm, startled and trying to sit up. He grabs me tighter and I ask what was wrong. He whispers, babe, there's someone at the foot of the bed. Oh my God. First, I swear there was someone on the little closet on my side. That's when I rolled over afraid to look, but I swear there's a woman at the foot of the bed. Now wide awake, I can tell he's terrified. I start to look down, and as I believe I catch a glimpse of someone at the bottom of the bed, more in his side or corner, I shut my eyes and bury my face against him. We laid like that for a few minutes. Eventually, he asks if we can turn the TV back on. (laughs) I think to break up the darkness and the silence, I said, yes. Needless to say, neither of us slept for the rest of the night. I would have been out of that room. Absolutely. You can bet I'd be doing more than just turning the TV back on. I am sitting in the lobby that evening. (laughs) I'm still not sure what I saw or experienced that night. It could have been him imagining things, like a jacket on a chair looks like something scary in the dark. I've tried to play it off as being startled awake and spooking myself. He himself has tried to make sense of it. We broke up years ago, but we're still good friends and still tell our story to others from time to time. Again, I don't know what happened that night, but it definitely made an impression on us. 
And then she mentions that there's another haunted hotel there called the Basin Hotel. So I'll have to check that one out for sure. Hmm. Thanks for sharing that, Mary. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be a good one to check off a list, I think. Okay, this story is submitted by Wes. Let me start this story by stating that I am a skeptic and I don't believe in ghosts. Despite this, I love ghost stories, ghost walks, going for walks in old cemeteries, Halloween, and basically all things spooky and creepy. I have a few magician friends that make their living hosting seances, Ouija sessions, glass moving, tarot readings, etc. Being a student of the genre of magic that focuses on the supernatural, known as bizarre magic, I've learned and studied many methods used by mediums to produce convincing evidence of paranormal activity. Although there are many ways to explain unusual phenomena, I cannot explain what I experienced. My wife and I were celebrating our wedding anniversary, and we decided to stay in the Martha Washington Inn located in Abingdon, Virginia, because it is reportedly one of the most haunted buildings in the country. After doing some research, I learned that Suite 403 at the Martha is supposedly a hotbed of paranormal activity. The following is an excerpt from www.hauntedplacestogo.com regarding Suite 403. When the Martha Washington College, as it was known then, opened its doors to the sick and injured soldiers during the Civil War, there was a student that took on the responsibilities of a nurse to care for the individuals that were brought in for medical reasons. Her name was Beth. She was a beautiful, kind-hearted girl that thoroughly enjoyed playing the violin. She ended up with the responsibility of caring for a Union soldier. While caring for him, she would often play beautiful music to comfort him. In the course of caring for him, they fell in love. One day, he finally died. Despite the fact that it broke her heart, she knew he was no longer suffering. Just three weeks after his death, Beth died of the typhoid fever that was affecting many of the time. Many individuals claim that the violin music can still be heard sometimes, and others report that Beth's apparition has been seen in and around the room identified as 403 in the building. My wife and I arrived at the Martha Washington Inn on a Wednesday during the off-season. It was raining hard that night, so the scene was already set for a good ghost story before we even made it to the front door. The hotel, for the most part, was deserted. After we checked in, we returned to the front desk to ask some questions about the stories we had heard and asked the desk clerk if she had ever had any experiences herself. She denied experiencing anything, but had heard many of the same stories. I mentioned that I had hoped to reserve Suite 403, but it was out of our price range. She asked why we wanted that particular suite, and I simply grinned and said, You know why. The desk clerk looked at our reservation and noticed our address was an APOAE, Army Post Office, Armed Forces Europe address, and asked if I was in the military. I replied yes and showed her my military ID card. The desk clerk said, The owner is very military friendly, and Suite 403 isn't reserved. If you want it, it's yours. No extra charge. After thanking the desk clerk and asking her to pass our thanks on to the owner, my wife settled into the suite and celebrated our anniversary with our traditional glass of absinthe. Nothing out of the ordinary happened the rest of the evening. During the night, I was awakened by a cold breeze across my face that was similar to an oscillating fan. It wasn't frigid, but just enough to wake me. I wrote it off as just the air conditioner kicking on and went back to sleep. The next morning while we were packing, I happened to look above the bed, and that's when I noticed that there was no AC vent on the wall or in the ceiling. Additionally, the AC wasn't on as it was the month of March and not yet warm enough to warrant turning on the AC. While I still don't believe in ghosts, I have no explanation whatsoever for what I experienced. All I know is that it happened, and that wasn't my imagination or a dream. Was it the ghost of Beth checking on me to make sure I was okay? I guess I'll never know. Well, it seems that they prove the fact that that room is haunted. <laughs> it sounds that way. These stories are from Anthony Ortiz. 
Story number one. My first ever experience occurred when I was about 12. It was kind of late and I was getting tired. My mom and brothers decided they wanted to stay up and finish the show they were watching. So I went to my room, climbed into bed, and tried to drift away. It couldn't have been more than five minutes after I lay down when all of a sudden I heard a voice right in my ear. You're gonna die. Jeez. Oh my god. (laughs) It said it in a soft whisper. Oh, I'm sorry. I should have said it as, you're going to die. I quickly sat up and was ready to swing, but no one was there. The lights were out and my door was closed. Confused, I got up and walked back out to the living room. Did you guys walk by my door or say anything through the door to me, I asked? No, why, they said. So I shrugged it off and went back to bed. Once again, my door was closed, lights were out, and I was lying comfy in my bed. As I laid there staring up at the ceiling, something caught my attention. Kitty corner to my bed was my dresser, and on top of it, in the darkness, I saw a shadowed figure squatting. Oh, God. <laughs> a shadow figure is one thing, but if they're squatting, like, ready to pounce? What? Yeah. Oh. And what is it? That makes me think it's a creature, not <laughs> Yeah, a exactly. No sooner did I see it, it leapt off the dresser, <gasps> leaving it rocking back and forth. I just got chills all the way down my back and my arms. I mean, you can't doubt. It's one thing to say, like, in the previous story, they said, you know, you can imagine a jacket on a chair or something. Right. The dresser moves. Right. Moves. Here's the, it's even worse, though. It landed directly on my chest. Oh! <laughs> in that instant, I couldn't breathe, move, or talk. I was afraid. All I could do was lay there and stare up at the shadow. It had no shape, no voice, or even eyes. All I know is that it had a bone to pick with me. I remember thinking, I hope someone would walk in and help me. He's only 12. Why is it picking a bone with him? I don't know. Maybe a minute had gone by, but yet seemed like forever. Out of the blue, I heard a calm voice in my head. It was my youth pastor. I heard his words from a previous lesson. If you should ever find yourself in a pickle, and you feel like you're trapped, doomed, can't breathe, whatever, just say, God help me. You don't even have to say it out loud, and the Lord will be there for you. Just then, I uttered those very words in my head, and whatever this thing was, it leaped into the air and faded away like a mist. Finally, I was able to breathe again. I jumped up and hit the light switch. Nothing was there. I thought, should I go tell my mom what just happened? No, they'll think I've lost it. (laughs) After a couple of minutes, I turned my radio onto the oldie station for comfort, turned the lights off, and laid there till I fell asleep. Never happened again. This was my first ever experience and is what got me curious about the paranormal world. Oh my god. I know. That's your first experience. Huh. Uh, hard pass on the rest then. And how in the world do you turn the lights back out? I would be sleeping with the lights on for the rest of my life. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. I mean, I would be praying so hard. Story number two. This one takes place about eight years ago. I was living in North Las Vegas, but working graveyard shifts in Las Vegas. For those not familiar with the area, they're two entirely different towns. One day I was heading home after one of my shifts had ended. The sun had been up for a spell, but it was still early enough for folks to still be stuck in bed. I was driving along a quiet residential road when it happened. I looked up into the rearview mirror, and there it was. A man I'd never seen before was sitting dead center in my back seat. He had a bowl haircut and was wearing a faded brown suit. He looked to be in his late 40s. We locked eyes for a split second, and then he decided to slump over behind the driver's seat. I hit the brakes and stopped in the middle of the street. I swung my arm around and leaned into the back seat, but he was gone. I looked back up and around for maybe someone who might have ran past the back of the car or something, but no one was anywhere in sight. I turned back into my seat and paused for a breath. I stepped on the gas and made the rest of my way home. Once I got home, I told my family what had happened. They shrugged it off and said, it must have been the glare of the sun making shadows, and that was that. 
Oh, man. I'm sorry. A shadow does not have a bowl haircut and wear a brown suit. And how unfortunate that they're they're in this realm, left in this realm with a bowl haircut. I'm sorry. I've just got to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I had one of those bowl haircuts once upon a time. Yeah. Well, you know, Dorothy Hamill, we've all been there. Went through. Well, at least people of our age. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you say of our age. Well, you know. Like we're old? Yeah, a little bit. All the millennials are going, who's Dorothy Hamill? Exactly. (laughs) Ah, Ice skater, funky haircut. Story three. This one takes place just after I moved into a townhome on the west side. I'll try and paint a picture for y'all. Just as you walk into the doorway, you're standing in the living room. Immediately to the left was a dining area and kitchen with a counter separating the kitchen from the living room. We had an L-shaped sectional sofa that helped to create a walking path between the back of the sofa and the kitchen counter leading into the hallway. Once in the hallway, you were right in front of the bathroom door with the door leading to a bedroom on either side of you. Now, one day I'd come home from work and I've always made it a habit to check if anyone was home. Not this time. I was all by my lonesome. I fetched a drink out of the cooler and sat down to watch some TV. Now, I never sat in the open back section of the sofa. I always sat on the part that was against the wall. I've had this thing about open spaces or people behind me. I don't know. It could be, you know, the ghostly experiences he's had. But this time I sat right on the corner end where both sections of the couch meet. I had an old bubble back screen TV and I wanted a clear picture. The opening of the hallway was right behind me. Now, whenever you change the channels on those old TVs, the screen would go black for a second or two. Well, I was channel surfing and as the screen had turned black in between channels, I got the scare of a lifetime. Immediately standing behind me was a man looking down at me. He was more a shadowy figure, but his silhouette was very slim and fairly tall like Forrest Gump. He wasn't doing anything. He just stood there as if he were manning a post, except his head was tilted downwards, looking at me. I jumped out of my seat as if a spring was under me. Thinking of a possible intruder, I turned and was ready to rock and roll if he catch my drift. But no one was there. I looked around. I would have thought so, too. I looked around, but I was once again alone. I know close quarter combat, so I ran to the kitchen and fetched two butcher knives and began assaulting each room. Oh, good grief. But they too were all empty. I just couldn't figure it out. I put the knives back and went to my room. Once my family came home, I didn't say a thing about it. A few weeks later, my pop asked me if I'd seen or heard anything lately. I said, like what? He goes to tell me that he's seen someone walking in the hallway and that the laundry and bathroom doors keep opening up by themselves. I asked him, can he describe the guy? Both our guys' descriptions matched to the T. I then let him in on my little encounter. He said, what can we do? I stated that I'd heard you're supposed to let them know if you want them gone or not. And so I did. I said out loud, you're more than welcome to stay. You seem like a peaceful person. However, you're not allowed to reveal yourself in any way, shape or form to the kids when they're over. And you can't do anything harmful. One slip and you're not welcome here anymore. We lived there for about four years. and We saw him countless times walking the hall, opening doors. My pop would even get upset. He keeps opening the bathroom door. I said, it's his house. He wants it open, so leave him be. Too bad I couldn't get him to pay rent. He was a good roomie. Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine sitting on the pot and then the door just oh, opening? It's like, can I have some privacy? <laughs> nosy son of a gun. <laughs> Story four. I was still working graveyard shifts at the convenience store I was in Las Vegas. The night I'll be talking about just so happened to be New Year's Eve. This wasn't the first time I worked this ship, so I knew what I was in for. I can't imagine Las Vegas on New Year's Eve. Oh, oh good grief. That, yeah, that's crazy. Roughly two and a half hours of weirdos and then complete silence. I'd be working alongside my buddy Jeremy, so that made it even easier. 
Now I'll try and paint a quick picture for you of the store so you can better follow along. The building was in the shape of a rectangle with one end ending in a triangular shape. At the triangle end was my cashier area with a long counter reaching from one side almost to the other. If you were staring down from behind the counter, the front entrance would be immediately to your right. Next to the doorway was a pocket area with slot machines. If you walk past that, there's a long countertop stretching almost the whole length of the store. In the middle of the counter was a small break with a door leading into the storage room. On the left side of the store were cooler doors running along almost the length of the store. And at the other end of the store was a seating area, bathrooms, and a kitchen. And in between all this was two shelves running long ways like an 11 creating three aisles. There was also three security cameras in the back area, two in the middle, three more in the front, and one inside the storage room. Now back to my story. It was roughly around 11 when Jeremy had asked if I would mind being left alone for a spell. Why do you ask, I replied. Well, I got a camera for Christmas and wanted to go up on the roof and see if I can get a few pictures of the strip and the fireworks, he said. Oh yeah, go right ahead, I said. So jump ahead to 11.45. Jeremy tells me, I'm going up, text me if there's an emergency. Now the ladder to the roof was located in the storage room. As I continue to ring up customers, I look up to see him closing the door behind him. The customers lasted until just before midnight, and then all was quiet. At the far back wall was a TV that I was watching from across the store to see the festivities. The stroke of midnight came and gone, and then it happened. From the left corner of my counter, I heard footsteps. They sounded like cowboy boots on a hardwood floor. I was leaning on the countertop, so naturally I snapped to and looked to see who was in my store. They began to move from the left of the counter to the end caps of the aisles just in front of me, and from there they moved to the front countertop and headed towards the storage room. Just then the storage room door popped open an inch and then proceeded to slowly open until it couldn't open anymore. I mean, somewhat of a shock at this point. I mean, what the hell is going on? I decided to go around to where the steps had started, but nothing. I call out to Jeremy. Is that you? Nothing. So I walk over to the long counter and again, Jeremy, you there? Nothing. So I begin to step towards the storage room door, but as I do, a customer walks in with his dog. Happy New Year's, he says. I return the greeting and walk back behind the register. As I'm serving the customer, I notice his dog keeps looking back. He doesn't bark or growl. He just keeps looking back. Just before they leave, Jeremy comes back in. He lays his camera down and asks, how'd everything go? I gave him a look like, wow. So by now we're alone again. Jeremy begins talking when I interrupt with a stern, wait. I'm sorry to cut you off, but dude. His <laughs> face drops like, what? Please tell me. So I begin to lay it all out there on the table. And when all is done, his jaws dropped. He asks, did you check the cameras to see if someone was pranking you? No, I haven't got the chance, I say. We run into the office, located at the end of the cashier's counter, and start running through all the footage. We checked every last camera. We see Jeremy going up to the top, me popping up once I hear the steps, me calling out to Jeremy, and finally his return. Other than that, no one was in the shop, not even in the parking lot. We both start going crazy in conversation. We even showed some of our closest customers the footage. Once the morning came, we showed it to our two managers. They were in shock. One said, okay, I don't want to work here no more. They asked, has anyone else seen this? We both go, nope. They told us, don't tell anyone, don't show anyone this. Do you understand? Yes, of course, we replied. However, we showed it to maybe 10 others. It never happened again. However, multiple people, me included, have heard our names being called in the cooler and kitchen area. We've witnessed in plain sight with customers around things being knocked off shelves, scared some folks, but sure kept me on my toes. Story number five. This one takes place in our bedroom. My wife and I were engaged at the time and she had recently moved into my place. She was watching TV while unpacking her things while I was at work. Sometime later, she texted me and says, what's going on in your room? What do you mean? Is everything okay? I replied. 
She proceeds to tell me my DVD player's volume started turning up all by itself. My DVD player not only had standard volume, but surround sound, so it was very intense. Now, normally when you use the volume, you would not only see the numbered level of sound, but the volume knob would also turn at the same time. She dropped what she was doing and found the remote. It wasn't impeded in any way. She pushed the button to lower the volume, and it was like it was fighting her for control. The numbers on the screen kept going up and down, and the knob was turning back and forth. This occurred for roughly 15 seconds, she tells me. By this time, I'm asking her, where was the remote? Did you step on it or anything? She says, look, I'm serious. I wasn't playing around or stepping on it. You just wait till you get home. You'll see. So I tell her, okay, I'll be home soon. If you need me to come home sooner, just call. Throughout the rest of my shift, she texts me a couple of times saying, it's happening again. Eventually, I get home and she starts showing me in person how everything happened. I tell her, okay, we'll see what happens. She looks at me and says, you don't believe me, do you? I tell her, no, I just got to figure this out. And of course, I get one of those snotty, whatever. Flash forward to later that night. We're laying down, holding each other as we watch TV, and it starts up again. I sit up to look for the remote. It was sitting on the side table all by itself. I grab it and begin to experience my own volume tug of war. As all this occurs, my wife sat up and pointed her finger at me, telling me, you see, I told you, but you didn't want to believe me. Did you think I was making it up? After a few seconds, it stopped. Once again, we both went through a mental checklist of what could have caused this, but came up empty. Just then, it started up again, and again, and again. It must have happened about five times that night alone. Finally, I popped up and unplugged the whole damn unit. We weren't scared. We felt more like being in a haunted house. You know, to where you're excited, but yet also wondering what's going to happen next. Well, we calmed down and decided maybe we ought to lay down some ground rules for our guest. We sat up in bed and held each other's hands. Okay, first things first. If you have ill will towards us or this house, you're not welcomed here, I said with a stern voice. If you don't follow God, you're not welcome here. But if you're peaceful and have no bad intentions and are merely making yourself known, then we see you and are not afraid of you. You're dead. If you don't know this, you need to walk to the light and go in peace. Afterwards, we turned over and went to bed. We've had enough excitement for the night. A few days later, my wife was bored, so she plugged it back in. Midway through the movie, it happened again, but this time it was more mellow than aggressive. This time around, my wife merely said, hello again, I see you, but no showing off. Now, can you please turn the volume back down? I don't like it loud. It went back down. This would occur again that night. As it did, my wife said, wait and watch, and she asked it to turn it down again, and it did. I laughed. She said, see, he just wants to say hi. This became the norm for as long as we lived there but we learned to say our hellos each time and coexisted. Now I wish I would have recorded our interactions. My wife and I look back at that experience very fondly. I'll leave you with this last bit. My pop, wife, and I have all seen shadow people. I've been told shadow people can be good or bad, but I've also been told that if you're open-minded, you're more likely to have an experience. We currently have some in our home now, but seem to be peaceful. But if this is all true, then I believe my two-year-old daughter has the gift too. We've seen multiple times her stop in her tracks and say, who was that? My mom lives with us. She has an 8x10 picture of her dad who died when she was just 13, and we've heard my daughter talking by herself. We go to see what she's up to. We find her standing in front of the picture talking, and she tells us, I'm talking to Grandpa. Now, I don't take any medication at all, so I ask, do my family and I have a gift? Am I or all of us haunted? That is for you to decide. Love that. Those were a lot of stories. Thanks for sharing, Anthony. And next we have a story from Erica Murhoff. I have three major stories that come to mind. 
The first was in a home I lived in from the age of 5 through 16. The entire time we lived in that house, when I would lay in bed, I would have the sensation of hands running up and down my body. I was not asleep or even close to asleep. It was always as soon as I laid down. Good grief. I also had horrific nightmares. A reoccurring one I still remember was my younger sister being kidnapped and tortured in front of me. To the point at five years old, I'd crawl into her bed to try and protect her because I was so convinced that it was real. I also experienced blackouts, but not like passing out. My vision would suddenly go black and my whole body would start tingling, but I was aware of what was going on around me and could speak and hear. Occasionally during these episodes, I would lose use of my limbs and drop things or fall over. Oh my god. I also loved to read and would constantly wake up to my books thrown all over my room. After I moved out of that house at 16, I never had any more nightmares, sensations of being caressed, or blackouts. But it was 11 years of extreme terror. The second story is in my current house. There is a little boy, best as we can tell, living here. My son and nephew have seen him when they were young, under 5 years old. My nephew was actually tossing a ball into my son's old bedroom and told my sister the little boy in Jace's room wouldn't throw the ball back. My mom also felt something tug her hand and say, Mima, I sleep with you, and felt something crawl over her legs and get under the covers. Oh my god. I just totally envisioned Gage from Pet Cemetery. I sleep with you. So creepy. <laughs> she thought it was my son. The next day, she asked where he was, and I reminded her that he was with my ex-husband that weekend. Oh, my lord. (laughs) Thirdly, I believe my ex-husband's grandmother keeps an eye on my son. Now, you have to understand, she loved my son more than any other person on earth, including her own children. My son was literally her whole world from the moment he breathed his very first breath. Whenever I have a mom moment where I yell at my son, something happens. Two off the top of my head are when his TV started flashing on and off after I yelled. It never did it before or after that. And another is when I made my son cry. I'm not proud of it. It was a bad moment. Later that night, I awoke to a loud thump. My automatic air freshener somehow made it 20 feet across my room to hit my bed with enough force to wake me up. My floor was also carpet, so couldn't have hit the floor and gained enough momentum rolling to hit my bed that hard. Oh, and a side note. My niece, who was six, from the time she could talk, would tell us about her special grandma who couldn't breathe and would pull her hair. She also told us how special grandma would keep Sissy and Sousa away from her when they were being mean. We never figured out who Sissy and Sousa were. The lady who arrived in my sister's house before she bought it died of emphysema. Oh, I think we know who our ghost is. Yeah, no kidding. Those are some great stories. Thanks so much for sharing that, Erica. This story is from James McKenna. When I was very young, my grandfather owned a hotel in Lauder, Scotland called the Black Bull. I used to love running about that place and going up and down stairs. Sometimes I'd sneak into rooms. All the residents of the hotel locked their doors so I couldn't get into them, but the empty rooms I'd go into to see if anything was left. One time I did this and entered a room that no one was staying in. The door locked as I closed it behind me. I was small, so I couldn't reach the handle to get out, so banged the door and shouted for help. I then saw an old lady in the room. She sat on the bed and comforted me till my grandfather came looking for me. When I told my grandfather about the old lady, he turned and said there's no one in that room. Well, it looks like a little grandmotherly lady 
was taking care of James when he was a young boy, getting into mischief. I have a story here from Brandon Marsh. About three years ago, I had a man in a black leather jacket, jeans, and a hood over his head that blocked his face appear in a dream I had. He never said anything, but was standing there in the area. He didn't look threatening, but was very noticeable for some reason. I couldn't remember the dream, just him. This continued for almost a week. No matter what the dream was, he was there. I tried researching what it meant and couldn't really find an answer. After about a week of this, I was out shopping and I saw the man in real life at the farmer's market I was at. Well, that's weird. Uh, yeah. I was freaked out but tried to get to him, but he vanished when I got closer. He showed up three other times in person around town, but I could never get to him. Finally, after about a month's time, he appeared again in my dream and he reached his hand to me. I reached out towards him and as I did, my chest and head burst into extreme pain. In the dream, everything was fading black. In reality, I had stopped breathing and was having my first coronary artery spasm. The artery had seized closed, which was shutting off blood to my brain. My wife was calling for an ambulance and trying to do CPR. Luckily, the spasm released and I slowly became conscious again. I was taken to the hospital, but as I was being loaded into the ambulance, I again saw the man standing by the tree in our yard. I'm still not sure if he is bad. My wife thinks it's a guardian angel, but usually anytime I have an episode for a few days before it happens, I start to see the man in the leather jacket appearing in different places, still unable to be reached. does make you wonder if it's his guardian angel. I don't know. Guardian angel or harbinger of doom? <laughs> Something. Something's yeah. bad going to happen. You don't want to dream about that guy. Yeah. Or, you know, he's just trying to warn him. He's cool, though. He's got a leather jacket. <laughs> leather jackets are always good. And now we have a story from Brandon Mitchner. Story about my friend Matt. When he was 12 or 13, he and a friend decided to check out this abandoned house in their neighborhood. They had heard stories that there was something weird about the house throughout their childhood. It was secluded, hidden from the street among dead trees, and no grass would grow on the property. He and his friend walked up to the house, which was in pretty bad shape. It hadn't been lived in for years. As they looked at the outside of the house, Matt and his friend spotted the shadow of a figure in one of the ground-level windows. So, being the curious kids that they were, naturally, they walked up the stairs to the front door and walked inside. Matt said that as soon as they walked inside, they felt cold, and he felt so tired that he could have fallen asleep. Immediately, all the doors in the house slammed shut all together. He and his friend booked it out of there and ran full sprint back to his friend's house down the road. As Matt put it, we wanted nothing to do with it after that. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be around that place either. Yeah. The Cowboy by Mindy Hull. Back in my college days, I found myself cleaning an older home for these two eccentric and sweet artists in southwest Missouri. We lived out in the countryside in a small town just 15 minutes away from the city, 35 if you took the back roads. Anyhow, they lived up on this hill on which a small park and river ran along the side of the property. Keep the fact that the house lay near a body of water during the ghost tale I'm about ready to share with you. I recall it being June 7th, a summer's day with a slight overcast hanging on the moderately humid and warm Ozark skies. There was also a cool breeze flirting with the old oak trees, which made the perfect invitation to conjure up a spirit or two. I looked at these skies through the window above the kitchen sink as I was washing an old wire basket. For whatever reason, I had an urge to sing this one song, When the Stars Go Blue, written by Ryan Adams, and the version I was singing was that of Tim McGraw's. Blame it on the recent Tim McGraw kick I was going through at the time, lol. The lyrics go like this. Where do you go when you're lonely? Where do you go when you're blue? Where do you go when you're lonely? I'll follow you. When the stars go blue. As I lifted the soapy rag to proceed washing the old wire basket, I felt a firm tap on the right side of my back, right below the shoulder blade. 
As I felt it, I stood there on the old kitchen hardwood floor, frozen while holding the dish rag midair. I felt a circulation of cold air around me that logically should not have been there, for the windows were shut, and the air conditioner wasn't on, for the owners had it off since it wasn't that hot outside. For curiosity's sake, I slowly turned around, pivoting while I still had the rag in my hand that now was dripping water onto the floor, and saw a full-bodied apparition of a cowboy. I then sensed that this cowboy resembled one from a long-gone-by era of the Great Depression, 1930s. This cowboy was across from me in the dining room, sitting down on a chair that was halfway pulled out from the table. He had his body turned facing me. I observed a lonely, nonchalant look upon his face and as well in his aura. Then he gave me a shy yet genuine smile and proceeded to tip his hat to me. This sight was observed in my mind's eye. As the cowboy was tipping his hat at me, he slowly disappeared into the unknown, perhaps another dimension in time and space. I stood there in disbelief and in awe. I had just had my first experience seeing a full-body apparition. I haven't seen any since, but have always been able to sense spirits that I can't see. There are more stories that the old house holds that I will share for another time and day. Wow. So she sees a full-bodied apparition. That's pretty awesome. And to boot, it was a southern, well, I don't know, southerly, but a gentleman. Yeah, tipped his tipped hat his to her. Hat, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah, had some manners. That that was cool. At least he didn't, you know, scowl at her or something. Yeah, totally. Definitely felt more friendly than anything else. Okay, this is from Angela Wallingford, who does haunted tours in Cincinnati. So on the tour, for several years, we would go into the courtyard of an old abandoned German tenement building. This place was crazy. There was some sort of activity about 90% of the time that we were there. I could probably write a book about all the crazy things that went on there. Hmm, maybe I should, lol. On my first tour as a guide, we were in the courtyard and the other guide, John, was trying to make contact with the spirit of a woman he communicated with on a previous tour via flashlight. After a couple of minutes with nothing going on with the flashlight and John talking to her, a lady in the group said, it's not a woman, it's a man, and he's angry with you that you're not acknowledging him. John asked if she was a psychic. She said that she and her twin sister, he says you've been coming in the building for the last four years and he is sick of you. John apologized to the spirit and asked if he could speak with the woman he communicated with the week before. Charles' response, no, I controlled her in life and I control her in death as well. At that, John stepped up to the flashlight that he had placed on the ground and said, Charles, if you have a problem with me, turn this flashlight on and face me like a man. For the first time that night, the flashlight came on, full brightness. We left after that. The sisters were so concerned about John that they came back to the office with us and did some sort of protection spell for him and another to release the spirit of the lady in the tenement. I have had a lot of people on my tours say that they were psychic. Some, I'm sure, are. Some, I bet, are quite the opposite. But she said something that made me believe her. When we first went into the courtyard, John told the group that this is our first year using this building for our haunted tours. He did not mention we had been using that building for the past four years for the underground tour. Charles had mentioned John had been going in there for four years. This is from Laura Thompson. I've always seemed very sensitive to being exposed to things since I was young. There's one particular time about four years ago I had an experience that was in 2014 and 2015. The year 2014 was a tragic year for me. I'd lost my uncle and boyfriend to suicide. After those losses, I couldn't sleep for some odd reason in my bedroom, so for a while I'd sleep in the living room. During this time, I still live with my parents. I eventually started sleeping in my bedroom again. Late 2014, I'd wake up several nights around 3 a.m. and feel like someone was watching me. 
One day that I was doing stuff around my room, I found a set of footprints in an odd corner of my bedroom as if someone was standing there for a long time facing my bed. I'd asked my brother and dad if they'd been in my room recently, and they said no. I even took their shoes to compare the size to the set of footprints and no match. I'd remembered that my former boyfriend had big feet and wondered if maybe it was his. My dad thought it was creepy that there were footprints in my bedroom. I think I did take pictures of them, but don't know what I did with them. Maybe he was keeping an eye on her. I eventually started dating again in 2015. I'd ended up catching up with an old high school classmate, and we started dating that year. Since we were still getting to know each other, we would talk a lot over the phone. Sometime in the fall of that year, during one of those phone calls, I'd fallen asleep in my room while talking to him. Maybe 30 minutes to an hour later, he woke me up, concerned, asking if everything was okay. I said, yeah, I'm sorry for passing out on him. The next day that I saw him, he asked me who was in my room. He heard in the background last night. I was confused because I didn't understand what he was talking about. I told him no one was in my room, just me. The next thing he told me freaked me out. He said that he had heard what sounded like a man's voice in the background, almost as if it was asking me questions and that I was responding back to it. I'm not known for talking in my sleep. I told him that the... Kelly's looking at me really scared. <laughs> that is so creepy. <laughs> I told him that the only people in the house that night was me and my brother. I mentioned to him that my brother normally doesn't come into my bedroom unless he needed something, and I would have noticed him in my room because I'm a light sleeper. This guy has been now my boyfriend for the past three years. He's a huge skeptical person of anything paranormal, especially since he grew up in a strict Christian home. To this day, he thinks that maybe it was my brother in my room, but I always tell him that it wasn't. After that incident, he would monitor me sleeping and has not happened again since. I had some very odd nightmares that tie into those tragic losses. In 2013, I had a nightmare that my mother and I were attending a funeral and the burial. I remember seeing two black caskets being taken to the burial site on this hill on a cloudy day, but I had no idea who were in those caskets. What is so crazy about that situation is that the next year I lost my uncle and former boyfriend. My former boyfriend was buried in a black casket and buried in a cemetery that sits on a hill. And that day it was rainy and cloudy. It's crazy because it seems as if I had a premonition, but I do not consider myself psychic at all. In late 2016, I had a nightmare of attending a funeral that involved my adoptive father's family and my mother's family. I remember seeing a woman with a white light surrounding her walking around us. In 2017, my adoptive grandmother was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and passed away that summer. And later that fall, I lost my great grandfather on my mother's side. So if she has any more dreams about caskets and stuff, and I was in her family, I'd be watching my back or something. Yeah, I'd be maybe just a, a smidge paranoid about that. Yeah. Next up, we have a story from Ariel Facey. As a child, I was always sensitive. I was sensitive about my feelings. I was sensitive about other people's feelings. But most of all, I was sensitive about things that I couldn't explain. I can walk into a home and know that someone passed away there without anyone telling me beforehand. Also, old smells would make me sick. I'd pick up a scent and know how old a building was or that something smelled like old perfume. Child psychology actually has a name for this. It's called sensitive, funny enough, and now I know I'm an empath. Growing up, I had parents that didn't really talk about ghosts. They were very much open skeptics like you, but didn't want to embrace the fact that I was special or anything weird. They just wanted me to have a normal childhood. That all changed during my eighth grade field trip. At my middle school, we could raise money and pay to go on a field trip for 10 days where we got to go to Washington, D.C., Amish country, Gettysburg, Philadelphia, and New York. We went to Washington, D.C. first, and it was a rushed, guided tour type of trip. But I'd been to D.C. before in fifth grade, so I kind of knew a lot about Washington, and I wasn't already obsessed with Abraham Lincoln. I didn't have any weird experiences either time I went to D.C., but when I got to Gettysburg, something changed. 
We've been driving for a long time in the tour bus, and when we got to our hotel in Gettysburg, I was happy to get off. I jumped off the bus and took a deep breath of fresh air, and I smelled death. I seemed to be the only one who smelled it because I was the only one to almost throw up. Of course, the adults included my mom, who was a chaperone. She thought I was just car sick, but I was constantly telling my mother that I could smell death all around me, and I couldn't get away from it. I was panic-stricken, and people were starting to stare. Granted, at that school, I was already the bullied weirdo, so it didn't take much for them to make fun of me for something new. Anyways, I didn't know how to explain it because obviously there was nothing dead there. We were in a brand new hotel parking lot. And the fact the hotel's brand new might be why this happened. I'll bring that up later. Anyway, I got some water and calmed down inside the lobby of the new smelling hotel, and I started to feel better. I was able to go with the group to dinner, and then we had a ghost tour, the first one I was ever going to go on. I was really excited because it sounded like fun. I believed in ghosts a little bit, but I was nothing like I am today. During the ghost tour, we all had a fun time listening to some spooky stories from a woman who was very nice, and she wasn't overdramatic. She just told us very interesting facts about the town and the battles, and covered some spooky stuff that happened even before and after the Civil War. After that, it was time to go back to the hotel. I felt much better after a little nighttime MTV music video recap, probably showing my age here. Indeed, because MTV doesn't have videos anymore, does it? And we went to bed, turned off the lights, and laid down. I was almost asleep, and then the alarm clock went off. And of course, it's one of those horrible generic hotel alarm clocks that sounds horrible and super loud. It made all of us in the room jump sky high. I was closest to it, so I shut it off, and it went off again. I'd done a lot of traveling for 13 years old, so I knew that some people just use those for the most random times to get up for flights. And so I tried to turn it off. It was switched to off, so I thought I fixed it. I'd no sooner lay back down when it went off again. I reached out to hit the off switch and it turned off. I hesitated and about to lay a hand on it again and it went off. By this time, everyone is freaking out and one of the girls turned on the lights and I unplugged it. So we were like, okay, that's it. Let's all get to bed. We left the light on so we all laid back down and the dang TV turned on and we were all so scared and I got stuck with one of the popular girls so she of course got mad at us nerds for playing a prank on her and told us to grow up and angrily went to unplug the TV and got into bed in a huff. We left the light on and we finally fell asleep. Having no clock in the room and no cell phone at the time, I didn't know what time it was but I suddenly woke up to the sound of running water from the bathroom. I didn't know what it was. Was it the shower, the sink, the toilet? Then I got that feeling like, Something is watching you. Oh God, don't look, don't do it. I got hot in the back of my neck. At the same time, I also got massive chills and I was scared. I couldn't take it anymore. I had to see what was looking at me. So I slowly peeked around the covers and sat bolt upright. I was looking at a full bodied apparition of a Confederate soldier standing in the doorway of the bathroom. I was seeing his reflection in the closest mirror that was directly across from the bathroom. He was leaning against the door jamb in his gray uniform and cap. I could see the detail of his muddy boots and jacket and his faded buttons, and he was fiddling with something in his hand in a relaxed posture and looking at me with an expression I would call politely confused as to why three young girls were inside a room that he was in. It was then that the girl I was sharing the bed with screamed bloody murder. When I looked back, he was gone. She had woken up because I sat up and looked over and saw him too. The next day, she would not talk about it. She tore out of that room first thing in the morning, and she didn't even put on makeup. She wanted to get out of there so fast, and that is a big deal for that girl at that time in our middle school lives, lol. When I asked her about it, she said she would refuse to tell anyone about it because it never happened. But I did tell people at breakfast, of course. The adults just said it was my imagination from the ghost tour the night before. 
until two of the other chaperones came downstairs white as a sheet saying their room was haunted and the water kept turning on and off all night and they didn't get any sleep. They were on the same floor as us. Turns out when they were building the brand new hotel we were staying at, they did uncover some remains of soldiers. It's so sad to think they still find people who never got a proper burial. That was a night I would never forget. It also made me obsessed with Civil War history. I'm a true Civil War history buff, but I also love all history, and that's why I enjoy listening to your podcast. The smelling death thing I experienced I'd never heard of or before or since until the show you did about the Battle of the Somme. Can anyone else on this podcast smell hundreds of years of old death? I still get hints of it in graveyards sometimes. I thought I was alone in smelling old death on a battlefield or in a graveyard. I was also sensitive to that. Needless to say, I'm now a witch and I'm very connected to the spiritual world. Even now, I work at a winery that is haunted. I've only been working at this job for three months and the ghost that haunts the place has picked up activity ever since I've been there. I live in a small town that is still named after people who murdered a bunch of Native Americans in the 1800s and think it's a ghost of a Native American. People have seen him and he has long black hair and dark skin and he's always looking in on us or in my case, he walked by me and then threw a book and a jar of decanter beads from a shelf. He has also come in the bathroom after us, which I find kind of rude. I never tempt the spirits because I know that they know I can see them, hear them, and yes, smell them, even though I still consider myself an open-minded skeptic as well. I only know what I can feel and hear, but true evidence is what I always look for in any ghostly activity. I've never been on a ghost tour since, but I would love to go again someday. You guys inspire me to keep learning more about history. Thank you so much for sharing that, Ariel. I can't imagine seeing a full-bodied Confederate soldier standing in my hotel room. And our last story that has been sent to us for this special, Nicole Cartarelli. Back in 2012, I went on a family road trip down to South Carolina from my home state of Massachusetts. Since the journey would take us through Baltimore, I begged my parents to make a stop there so I could see Edgar Allan Poe's gravesite in his home. Good call. Definitely. My, My awesome parents indulged me and made the plans to stay there for one day and one night. When we made it to the city and to his home, it was as creepy and claustrophobic as one could imagine. When I entered his room in the attic, I could not stay in there for more than a few minutes. It was so cramped and the energy was so stifling. But I was and still am happy that I got to go. Especially since I believe that year it closed permanently due to lack of funding that kept it open to the public. At the end of the tour, there was an artist selling small illustrations of Poe. One caught my eye and I thought it was adorable with its cartoon-like style. The picture was of Poe standing next to a pile of books looking solemn while a purple raven grinned from its perch on his shoulder. I bought it and hung it on the wall in the far left corner of my bedroom when we returned from the trip. Before I continue, there's some details I should mention. My parents built my house back in the early 80s, 11 years before I was born. Once I was born and started to grow up in this home, I never had any inclination that something or someone could be haunting it. It was extended over the years due to my family growing, and through all its renovations and expansions, there still was never any paranormal activity. I never felt uncomfortable in my house nor in my bedroom. But once that Poe picture became a decoration in my bedroom, everything changed. It started off with just an uncomfortable feeling of being watched. It would happen day and night without fail, and I found myself avoiding spending as much time in there as possible. One night when I was about to go to bed, I heard a few notes of a music box playing before it stopped abruptly. It came from a small doll. Oh, no. (laughs) I had on my shelf that had a music box inside it. Thinking it could be a loose spring, I brushed it off, but the next night it happened again. Really unnerved, I immediately took the doll out of the room and put it in the hallway closet. But it didn't stop it from happening again with a different item, a musical jewelry box on the shelf. I had my collection of music boxes removed from the room that night. The feeling of being watched continued to prickle at the back of my neck and I found myself drawn to the Poe illustration. It was as if my eyes just couldn't stop looking towards him. 
Whenever I did look at him, his facial expression seemed to change. It seemed to get less depressed and more angry every day. I should have removed it right then, but I thought it could be just my overactive imagination playing tricks on me. After the whole music box ordeal, I all of a sudden had a few nights of waking up and finding awful female screaming as well as a male voice laughing maniacally. I'm aware that this is a condition called sleep paralysis, but I never had any problem with the condition before nor after the pole illustration was removed from the room. What finally broke the straw on the camel's back, if you will, is one night of pure terror that I can still not explain to this day. It was probably towards the witching hour and I was still up reading on the couch in my bedroom. Out of the blue, I heard heavy footsteps starting to pace around right above my head. I was on the second floor of my house that had no attic, so it only left it to be the roof above me. The roof on the house is really sloped, and since it's so high up, there's no way anyone could climb up there without making a lot of noise, and also they would just promptly fall right off from the steep incline. I jumped up from my couch and just stood frozen for a moment as I listened. It sounded like someone with heavy boots was just clomping around, pacing back and forth. It was so clear and it was horrifying to learn that the footsteps came toward me if I ever ventured to take some steps towards where the sound was coming from. Scared out of my mind, I could only think of just jumping into my bed and burying myself in the covers until I fell asleep. When I woke up, the sound of the footsteps was gone and I'd had enough. I took the picture of Poe off the wall and stashed it away in the hallway closet where it remains to this day. After that, all activity ceased and the room went back to being comfortable and inviting. I will try to send a picture of the actual picture on a later date, but I no longer live with my parents and I don't think you could blame me, Diane, for not wanting to look or touch that object again. There must have been some kind of awful energy just attached to it. Whether it was due to Poe himself, I could not be sure, nor would I think that since I see no reason for the dead poet to follow me home and torment me. But as you say, Diane, that's for you to decide. Wow, (laughs) great story. And I don't know, something seems attached to that picture. I don't know. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's that's the overall feel of the whole thing. And you know how much I love ravens, but (laughs) I would definitely be getting rid of that. Well, Halloween is our favorite holiday. Indeed it is. And it is so great that today's the day. We're looking forward to handing out candy to all the kids. This is your first Halloween here. It is. And I'm so used to having tons of trick-or-treaters. So I'm really looking forward to seeing all their costumes and, you know, getting to interact with them. Of course, I'll, I'll be putting in my colored contacts. and Yeah, we've got the creepy stuff ready to go outside. We're going to have the <laughs> fog machines going, the strobe light. We are ready for the creep factor. We'll be doing it up even more next year, but we're just happy to be in a place and be able to take out our, our decorations and bring out the scare. So yeah. what was your favorite costume that you had? Oh, gosh. I don't know. I mean, there were so many, but overall, I really just enjoyed dressing up, getting the crazy makeup on, you know, making the frowny faces and coloring Mm -hmm. it in darker. So you look like you're just an angry, creepy faced person. And then, you know, I always put the one white contact in. So kind of a Marilyn Manson kind of thing going on. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) I'd have the raven or the crow for different years. And of course, the serpents. I'd be Uh, holding a snake. You had the real ones. Yeah, that would scare the crap out of me. Well, we had repeat customers coming around every year. Where's the big boa constrictor? My favorite costume probably was when I did Freddy Krueger. And this was before there were like Freddy Krueger masks and the hands and everything. I had to make the gloves with the little blades on the end of it. And I had to do all my own makeup with the fake skin and all that good stuff. That's so rad. I love that. I, you know, I would love to get more into the prosthetics. I have a couple yet to have the time to actually apply them myself because I'm busy running around helping everybody else get their costumes ready. But you never know, might be breaking that out this year. Ooh, very cool. 
Before we end this Halloween special, I do want to announce to everybody that I've had a little something in the works for a while, and I'm ready to tell everybody about it. If you're an executive producer of the History Ghost Bump podcast, you already heard about this a few weeks ago, and you've actually heard the first episode, too, before anybody else had a chance. Just one of the perks of supporting the show. So what is this I'm talking about? An episode? A podcast? Well, you guys know that I love cemeteries, that I really dig things that are creepy and I'm into death and all that other good stuff. So I have created and am producing a brand new podcast called The Death Box Podcast. It's up everywhere that you listen to podcasts. And if it isn't already up there, it will be soon. I know I'm still waiting for iHeartRadio to approve it and Spotify, but you can get it on iTunes and Google Play and in all of your podcast apps out there. It's been a passion project of mine. I finally got some time to work on it. And so I'm very excited to be bringing this out to the public. I hope you guys will give it a listen. And if you like it, please give me a review of the show and share it with everybody that you know that you think might be interested in it as well. And don't worry, History Ghost Bump isn't going anywhere. This is just a little something extra that I'm doing as if I needed more on my plate, right? But I figured it's now or never. So I'm just really excited to be bringing this out. And the first episode is called Skull Chic, all about decorating your home with skulls and the history of that. Death. It's a guarantee for all humans. We are all going to die. For many, this is a terrifying prospect. The purpose of this podcast is to explore a wide array of topics connected to death and perhaps make death a little less of a mystery, a little less intimidating, and a little less scary. Come with me as we open the death box and explore burial practices, both old and new, from eco-friendly pods to grand mausoleums to the burial mounds of old, the death industry, embalming, funerary art, post-mortem photography, cemeteries, plagues, macabre art, the afterlife, and so much more. Up first, we'll look at skulls as decor. Hi, I'm Diane Student, host of the History Ghost Bump podcast, and I'll be bringing you an all-new podcast, The Death Box. Join me, won't you, on a journey through death. Well, we want to wish everybody a very spooky Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween!